When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Here we go. Jackson for his tight end, brought in by Mark Andrews, who escapes and goes all the way for the touchdown. Intercepted, picked up by Thomas. Earl Thomas with a foot race. Brown won't get him. That will be six. Running a little option. Jackson beats. Jackson breaks the tackle. He's right to the pylon, and it's a touchdown. Hello and welcome to another off-season episode of Pod Like a Raven. Still inside, still separated, uh, feeling a little lost, but glad to be back on the show with my two buds. I'm Antonio Barbera, joining me via Zoom recording, just throwing caution to the wind with getting hacked at any time during this session. Tim Horsey, first of all in DC. Tim, how's it going? Uh, good, man. Yeah, we can't tell our rabid fans when we record this so they don't Zoom bomb us uh, during the show. Uh, we have to create a very, very in- intricate password to protect our pod like a Raven recordings. But yeah, I'm, I'm doing the same. I mean, I don't I think the only reason I know this is Monday is to take you behind the curtain. We record this show on Mondays. Not going to give out a time again, but I'm pretty sure that's the only reason I know that it's the start of the week because everything else is just, it's been completely lost to time and space. You said Monday there, and my first reaction was, oh, yeah, it is Monday. Right. Joining us on the West Coast, so who knows what time or day it is over there, Jace Evans. Jace, how's it going over there? Stay insane. Yeah, trying to. Same thing. Uh, The days are just kind of the blending, just all running together. Uh, hard to know what uh, what day of the week it is. It rained here, poured here last night, in fact. It's all, everything's wrong, <laughs> everything's strange, but we're getting through. <laughs> it's been a quiet week for obvious reasons. Coronavirus preventing all live sports. It's certainly slowing down the NFL, even in the offseason. There's some updates about the NFL draft that we'll get into in a second, but because of this, there's very little, I should say there was very little hard news about the Ravens. I have it in one sentence, and then we'll dive into it. 
And then earlier today, uh, a gift from the content gods, uh, the NFL All-Decade team was just dropped. And we'll be talking all about that. The Ravens, uh, other NFL players who was snubbed, who uh, maybe shouldn't be on this list. But I want to talk quickly about the Ravens news first. Uh, just a couple of quick tidbits here. I mean, I'll let each of you take whichever one of these things you want to talk about more. Derek Wolf, new to the Ravens, loves being on the Ravens, says that the D-line is going to be maybe the best ever and will hold, uh, will have the best defensive metric against the run in the NFL history. So we'll see how that goes. Joe Flacco's brother, Tom Flacco, featured on ESPN.com, uh, profile from Jameson Hensley, Tom, a Towson graduate, shout out Towson, Maryland, uh, looking to sort of grab on with an NFL team, unlikely through the draft, but trying to be the next Flacco quarterback in the NFL, uh, most likely has a chance to be sort of a gadget player a la Taysom Hill. Uh, Antonio Brown uh, had a little mini workout with Lamar Jackson and, and Hollywood Brown. ESPN had five stories on that in two days about what that meant for the Ravens. He's not going to sign with the Ravens. That's the end of that story. Uh, And that's, uh, oh, and then Patrick Owasso, we discussed pre-show, not a Raven, uh, (laughs) officially now signing with the Jets. Very small stories, guys. I'm going to turn to you, Tim, if you want to go first. Uh, Which of these stories maybe did you pay most attention to this week? Um, if any, <laughs> yeah, not a ton of them. Uh, Derek Wolf, I think the interesting part of that whole call was not necessarily him saying that he wants this defense to be historic or thinks they can be was that even last year he was trying to get on the Baltimore Ravens. Um, and then when he basically told his agent, I don't really, and Calais Campbell, the same, the money doesn't matter as much. Put me on this Baltimore team. Um, I think, you know, the Wolf one coming after Brockers fell apart, he realized there was an opening there, already adding Calais Campbell to Brandon Williams on that front uh, front three. I think he saw a great opportunity, and it's nice to see Baltimore as a free agent attraction. Might have to, you know, might have something to do with the unanimous MVP uh, <laughs> under center there as well, knowing that the window might be open at least for a season or two. Obviously, that can close very quickly in today's game. But um, that one, you know... I like confidence. I'm always going to be fine with a guy coming out and speaking his mind if, if there's some rationale behind it, which admittedly I think there might be with the additions they made on that defensive front. Um, but real quickly, the other, the other thing that Ravens-wise caught my eye that maybe you didn't really mention in there was Eric DaCosta, John Harbaugh, uh, spoke to the media via teleconference on Monday. Um, and just some interesting notes there. He did not comment on Antonio Brown. Uh, that being DaCosta, so maybe that's kind of part of that story. He says he keeps those thoughts to himself. Read that as you will. I read it as Antonio Brown is coming nowhere near MNT Bank Stadium anytime soon, unless it's in opposing colors. Um, and speaking of wide receivers, they commented heavily on, said earlier there are about 25 receivers in this draft that could be drafted, that it's very, very deep, that he likes, and this is all DaCosta, I should say, Likes their group of guys. Of course, you're going to say that, but wants to make a defense that's undefensible. Um, and that means having a number of weapons. So because there's so many options, I'm not saying this is a round one thing. And clearly the Ravens are not going to give you any tells or as, as little as possible with these pre-draft pressers and things like that. Um, 
But interesting to hear that they want to upgrade those weapons positions. And why wouldn't you when you want to keep, again, the reigning MVP happy? Well, I think what you just said is why by far my least favorite story of the week is the Antonio Brown thing. As long as the Ravens have a sort of hole and as long as Marquise Brown... Antonio Brown's cousin is on the team and Lamar from the same area as Antonio Brown. This will just keep being brought up (laughs) as long as Antonio Brown remains on on a team. And like you said, I would be absolutely floored if Antonio Brown is ever on the Ravens ever, but it's going to keep getting brought up and I already know it's going to drive me crazy. (laughs) So that's, for me, my uh, my least favorite uh, story of the week, for sure. And, and part of this is there. there's not that much to talk about right now in <laughs> sports as a whole. And then you narrow in. There's not that much to talk about in the NFL. So whenever a tiny thing like this comes up, I mean, a lot of media companies are, are guilty of it. But ESPN, more than most, is just going to just drive this story into the ground Uh He's cousins with a Ravens player. Like, of course, they're going to work out together. I mean, (laughs) it's not something that seems sort of crazy. But then with all the Antonio Brown news, he's sort of an easy clicks uh, headline, especially when you pair him with the former MVP, the current NFL MVP. and, And that's right. And number one, you know, team that had the most wins in the NFL this season. So. I hate it. It's not going to happen. I'm going to I'm going to say that confidently now. It's not going to happen because. Frankly, I think this team is not going to do that type of move after the whole Ray Rice sort of fiasco that happened, even though that seems like it was several years ago now. I do not see them going close to that direction uh, in the near future. Tim, I loved your point about Derek Wolf uh, wanting to be on this team. You win 14 games, you're going to start drawing people who want to come play on your team. Uh, the other side of this question that's always been asked is, can Lamar Jackson lure wide receivers to the team without him being a stud passer. So I don't know if you guys want to talk about that for a second. Yeah, Tim, go ahead. Well, I'll say he doesn't have to because they can just draft him. And at that point, (laughs) unless you're Eli Manning and the team doesn't have, or the player doesn't really have a choice um, if they want a future in the NFL. I think, yeah, great. He's not Aaron Rodgers, but the fact that he is so dynamic, I think does draw guys to him. Again, I mention this every podcast, could be purple tinted glasses, who knows. But me personally, I think guys want to play with a guy who is that dynamic, um, especially younger guys, you know, that they're going to be part of this Lamar Jackson generation, quote unquote, if that's what they think. Maybe some of the older guys who are trying to get a payday and or a veteran who it has an incentive laden contract where it's something to the effect of, you know, I need 50 catches to hit this bonus or whatever it is. Maybe not those guys. But again, the Ravens have never really attracted those guys. So I Something with I don't know why Ravens fans are complaining about about that if they're debating that. The one thing I'll say, too, about veterans wanting to come here. We've seen this a couple times. Eric Weddle, um, you know, Anquan Bolden, guys. Bolden, I believe, was a trade, but it was guys who, you know, maybe were on their last line of the, their career and said, this is a winning organization I want to be a part of this. So we've seen this with the Baltimore Ravens before when it's, you know, these guys are picking places where they think they could win a Super Bowl. And and the Ravens have become, for the most part, perennially kind of in that conversation, at least on the periphery. But now more than ever, I think you see it, especially in today's NFL, where you have 
this whole notion of get a good quarterback on a rookie deal so you can build around him, um, a la Patrick Mahomes, a la Jared Goff until they paid him an, a, a ridiculous amount of money. I think guys are realizing that and saying, hey, I can go make some money here, be a part of this for two, three years, and maybe win a championship with a guy who they believe in and they've seen perform at an incredibly high level. Um, before we move on to this, and apologize for ranting too, we're going to get some more draft stuff with the draft coming up in a couple of weeks, over the next couple of weeks. Um, going to have a little more fun with this stuff today. Obviously, there's about 5 billion people you can follow on Twitter or read their stuff online who are, I'll put air quotes around it, draft experts. <laughs> if that's what you really, really want, that's fine. Uh, trust me, I, I intake a lot of that stuff as well. Um, but, but a couple more notes from this conference call. Uh, with with DaCosta, Harbaugh, and the director of player personnel, Joe Horitz, as well. Uh, Horitz saying there are a lot of inside linebackers in the middle rounds that could have some good value. Uh, so again, probably priority one, two, or three. Uh, three at the very least, I would <laughs> say. Um, it, 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 for me personally, in terms of where the Ravens need to upgrade. And John Harbaugh coming out and saying, probably now more than ever, during his time with the Baltimore Ravens, interior offensive line is vital for the way they run the football and some of their complex schemes um, in giving the ball to Lamar, Mark Ingram, Gus Bus, whoever it is. That's going to be a priority for this team. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem like it's a very deep market um, in the draft for guards and centers, but I think it's something with Sakura coming off an injury, Bozeman, who knows, and obviously Yanda's retirement that that is going to be an and we've talked about it clearly but i think to surprise to no one the ravens recognize that that position definitely needs to be upgraded as well jace you probably have looked at the college ranks more and again we're going to get into the draft in future weeks but i feel like you are probably most familiar of the three of us with the college ranks so just thoughts on on tim's take there about what what to address when yeah, so a lot of the mocks uh, you've seen, uh, Tim kind of mentioned it, it, the the guard is definitely a need, interior offensive line, but of all like the projections, it's pretty much tackle. So that's, I don't really even kind of know where to begin for a guard, which is kind of <laughs> a concern for a team that needs a guard. But uh, this draft is absolutely loaded in wide receivers, and I think there'll certainly be some good ones probably available by the time the Ravens pick and even into the later rounds, there's just a ton of guys, a guy like, you know, like LaVisca Chenault. He was a, kind of a do everything. So kind of bigger body from Colorado. He might, he'll probably still be on the board around the time the Ravens pick. Um, a lot of mocks have uh, linked the Ravens up uh, to inside linebackers. Uh, the two specifically that keep getting thrown around kind of in the area the Ravens will be drafting is um, Patrick Queen from LSU and uh, Kenneth Murray from Oklahoma. Those are two guys to kind of keep an eye on. Uh, and, you know, like you said, I th- believe LJ Fort might be the extent of the entire middle linebacking core. So <laughs> it's definitely an area they could address. So those could be two names. Um, I mean, there's uh, yeah, no limit on wide receivers, really. But uh, the guard, what they do at guard will be interesting because it seems impossible for them to not draft a guard <laughs> or a lineman of some type. Even if it's a tackle, they're like, you're going to play guard uh, potentially. But uh, th- that that will be a big question mark because it's a thing they have to address. And there's no kind of 
obvious names in the first round there to kind of people are looking at. So, yeah, we can debate this more. We can debate this more at a later date, obviously. But, Jace, I want to get I want to get a quick answer from you being the guy who follows college football more. Um, you know, you, you mentioned I'm not even going to try and pronounce that guy out of Colorado's name because you just <laughs> nailed it. Uh, Justin Jefferson, T. Higgins, Denzel Mims or some other wide receivers that have been linked to the Ravens. Given the Ravens history, and I know it's a different regime of drafting wide receivers. I'm looking at you, Mark Clayton and Perryman. <laughs> if if like, let's say Patrick Queen, the linebacker at LSU is on the board um, and one of the receivers that they love is on the board as well. Obviously, the Ravens constantly, and this is what makes them so good, do not draft for need. They draft best player available. You'll hear it over and over and over again. Would it worry you if the Ravens, if there were options available at other positions that you liked as well, would it worry you if the Ravens went wide receiver in round one? Because I've seen it a little bit from Ravens, Ravens Twitter, quote unquote, that they absolutely don't want them drafting a receiver first round because of the value that you can get in later rounds and two, the his, the pretty horrid history of drafting wideouts. <laughs> uh, I'm definitely scarred by the Ravens history, <laughs> draft history. So uh, yeah, if they, even if there's like a defensive lineman that kind of falls, like, you know, some guys like AJ Epinesa's, he's been all over the place. I've seen him as high as in the top 10 and as low as, you know, the Ravens pick um, out of Iowa, kind of a sort of power uh, defensive lineman, defensive end. I would probably prefer they take someone like him or Anitor Grismanos out of Penn State even on the defensive line, which we think is a lot better than it was kind of at the start of the offseason than draft a wide receiver. But I'll admit that is mostly just because I'm scarred by Ravens history <laughs> and I think they could find someone in the second round. So that's just a personal thing. But uh, yeah, I, I just always fear the worst. It's like the spinal tap drummer is like Ravens first round wide receivers. Uh, it never works out well. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm just always scared, I guess, of receivers. So, yeah, I, I would like for them to look at probably at a different place. But I won't be like upset if they take a receiver. It's just personally uh, scarring for me. <laughs> The, the spinal tap visual of a Ravens first round wide receiver just spontaneously combusting is, is pretty accurate for some of the wide receiver picks that have been made early early in the Ravens draft. All right, we will get into that in, in following weeks. We'll, get, we'll really uh, drill down into specific uh, players, specific positions, and maybe we'll review a few mocks as we get right up to that draft date and see uh, who specific you know sports journalists have the Ravens taking in the first few rounds. That draft sounds like it's going to be happening as scheduled, but without anybody, no audience, no crowd. Everybody's going to be celebrating from home. So uh, there should be some uh, some really nice home draft parties that the webcams can cut to on draft day. So we, we will talk about that in the next few weeks. But we well, want to quickly, Antonio. Sorry, real quickly with that. Adam Schefter reported on Monday that everybody's going to be at home. It's a virtual draft. GMs and head coaches will not even be in the building. Like it's not it's not playing in front of the empty stadium type of thing like we all originally thought everybody's going to be getting zoom bombed trying to make these picks so it'll be very interesting to see how this all works number one how it's going to be televised number two um you know i'm still going to watch probably every round because we're stuck at home now so why not every single pick my boy mel kuyper yeah hall watching him analyze every single uh, draft pick he went to my high school it's always it's a point of pride for me trust me um 
So it, it'll be interesting to see, but it just a little note there that it's not just fans staying at home. It is the entire league for this thing. Cannot wait for the Cleveland Browns, like, internet war room to, like, lose internet connection or lag, and they miss out on, like, three of their first five picks. That aspect of it will probably be extremely challenging to some of these GMs having to communicate sort of online with a bunch of different people at once. So it might be one of the more exciting drafts uh, for it being a disaster uh, compared to other <laughs> years. So we will we'll see that in a few weeks. Uh, we want to move on now to what this just this news that just sort of came out of nowhere today, and that is the NFL All Decade Team was released today talking about the years 2010 to 2019. Few Ravens uh, on that list, uh, and a few of them unanimous. Uh, Tim, do you want to run through the specific Ravens who were chosen for the All-Decade team? Yeah, so if you include Ravens that um, have been with the team, uh, obviously Marshall Yonda, who just retired, unanimous. Uh, And then Justin Tucker, the kicker, unanimous decision as well. It should be noted that uh, I think the Ravens, it's reported that they are the only team with two unanimous uh, picks. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Another point of pride. I mean, especially now in times of no sports, these lists probably mean more than they would. (laughs) Uh, If if you dump this in in the middle of, I don't know, or right at the end of college basketball season, may it rest in peace, things like that. Um, And then Eric Weddle and Earl Thomas, both obviously – Thomas still with the Ravens, coming off his first season. Weddle, a former safety. Both made the de- all-decade team as well, as well as newest Raven, Calais Campbell. So uh, a lot of representation there. Pretty nice to see for the purple and black. I, uh, I think I love Justin Tucker getting the unanimous pick, even though he only joined the league in 2012 and didn't even participate for the first two years of the decade, and yet is not only chosen, but chosen <laughs> unanimously as as the all-decade kicker. So we're not going to go through all the positions and all the names. You guys can feel free to look that up on pretty much any sports website anywhere. Um, but the first, we're, we are going to analyze a couple of positions, a couple of players, and the first thing I want to ask you guys is just how you two personally view these kind of lists in terms of who should be on it? What type of player should be on it? Because in the NFL, a super productive 10-year career is pretty rare. Uh, so what you end up having is two different sets of players. And the one is a very, very good player over that span of a decade, or the guy who sort of had a super five-year stretch, maybe you know won three or four All-Pros in a span of five years, and then either his career ended after five or seven years, or tailed off significantly when he bounced around with a few other teams. It's, it's very, very common. So, Jace, why don't you go first? What do you? I, I tend to look at, and I think I may be wrong about this, especially in the NFL, but I tend to look at the 10-year player. And so I think I get a little uh, <laughs> sentimental with these players who maybe played for one team for all those 10 years. But when you drill down and you look at the guys who for the three, four, five years were just unstoppable players, I think they ended up in this list maybe surpassing some of those longer career, longer tenured guys. But I'd like to get you guys, your guys to uh, takes on that as well. Yeah, I, I actually I, I kind of go a little bit the opposite. I do think there's value in the, the excellent career, like just the transcendence over a shorter period of time. Um, and I think a name you, you know, we mentioned here, um, 
that's interesting to kind of point to this specifically is uh, Patrick Willis did not play in the last five years of the decade. And especially because you, you know, you put this list out in uh, now April 2020 and Patrick Willis hasn't played an NFL game since 2014. It's easy to forget how great he was, but for half of the 2010s, he was amongst you know, the best linebackers in football. So I think it's valuable to have those kind of guys uh, on a list like this, because I think otherwise their greatness might kind of get lost to history a little bit. Jace, that that's the perfect first name to get into here. Uh, and I'm going to offer a small counter counterpoint to that. <laughs> I have Patrick Willis in front of me. Uh, he ended up getting three all pros in the decade and four Pro Bowls in the decade, but his huge numbers, he had 170 tackles, 150 tackles. Those were pre-2010. He had two All-Pros pre-2010. When you pull up the linebacker who literally played right next to him for many of those years (laughs) is Navarro Bowman, who had four All-Pros after 2010. I feel like people forget that guy even existed. Uh, so it's it certainly if you look at if you look at the tackles for Navarro Bowman from 2010 to 2019, he has more. If you look at sacks in that same era, he has more uh, and he has more all pros. But I, I wouldn't even really think to put Navarro Bowman ahead of Patrick Willis on any list. And yet these stats can sort of get jaded depending on when you set, you know, the, the timeline. Like we decide that the decade has to be from from 10 to 19. Um, but Patrick Willis, a great example, obviously was a dominant player, but some of these stats can get so sort of jaded when you look at sort of that, that short time period. Well, and, and that kind of speaks to just reputation, too, right? Like we all like, as you just kind of said, we entered the 2010s being like, Patrick Willis is great. And then he was like still great for the first five years, whereas Bowman comes in as a rookie and is great. But, uh, you know. We already in our minds, I guess, had thought of Patrick Willis as great. It's just kind of a very fascinating exercise, this whole thing, to be sure. Uh, um, yeah, I, I when you told me, I had no idea Navarro Bowman had that many All-Pros, <laughs> to be honest with you. So, it, yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. It's We could argue Antonio, about this all day. It's the great part. Antonio just pulled the same argument that everybody tries to pull about London Fletcher versus Ray Lewis. <laughs> and I don't want to hear it. I don't. Everybody, oh, oh, only because he comes in and he dances and and the white suit and all these things making news. This is the only reason Ray Lewis is considered a better linebacker than London Fletcher, which is utter bullcrap. This is a family show, so I'm not going to go any farther than that. I look at guys for lists like this where you're talking about the greatest players of a particular generation. I don't give a hoot if you played all 10 years. I need you to dominate in your time. In theory, Barry Sanders played 10 years in the NFL. In theory, if he plays five and it's five of them in the 2010s, you put him as one of the running backs in this list. I don't care if he only covered half the time because he was a transcendent player who dominated while he was on the field. Now, look, longevity certainly plays a role in some in some area, you're going to have guys that if it's two, three seasons in the 2010s, I get that. But once you're getting to five, six, even seven years, if they were the dominant force, I take them over the consistently good player who did it maybe just a little longer. I was 
very prepared to come in uh, and and steal what's bothering Jace this week, because when that list first came out, there was a Raven who immediately was missing from the list, and that was Terrell, T-Sizzle, Hacksaw, I'm missing like six of the nicknames, Suggs, and in in his place was a name that at first... I sort of hesitated, and that was Chandler Jones, because he's just sort of playing in Arizona for the last four years. And I thought, oh, yeah, he's had a good few seasons, but there's no way that guy's an all-decade member compared to Suggs, who has a Defensive Player of the Year award in this decade. And I pulled up the stats for Chandler Jones, and I was wrong. And so I apologize (laughs) to Jones that just fervent Arizona Cardinals followship of Pod Like a Raven. There's a lot of them that listen to this podcast. Uh, probably we're going to be enraged at my at my hot take. Chandler Jones has 96 sacks in eight seasons. Four with the Pats, four with the Arizona Cardinals. I was shocked. Terrell Suggs doesn't have nearly that number in the last 10 years. So Suggs has sort of that, again, the argument of longevity. Um, but I was shocked at Chandler Jones, who has 49 sacks in the last three years. So I guess Tim checking off the box of transcend it in in his era i mean i can't imagine first of all i had no idea that chandler jones was close to that number in the past three years um but would love your guys thoughts on on suggs not not being on this list well the reason you didn't know that antonio is because chandler jones plays for the arizona cardinals (laughs) i mean that they're not relevant they 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 very rarely made an impact on an nfl season and so should should that matter that's kind of the point i the problem is stats sometimes can inflate like everybody who, you know, these guys who break down film all the time. Some of these I would put in the same category as these NFL draft experts, quote unquote. But a lot of these guys will say to you, you know, sacks is a great number, but sometimes they're completely inflated or don't really register how good of a pass rusher said guy is. Hand up. I don't watch a lot of Chandler Jones tape, <laughs> but when the numbers are that ridiculous, you would imagine that he is a premier pass rusher. So I think for different positions, and this is, I can hear the argument in my head, the Joe Flacco wins argument in my head. Some positions, I think that might matter a little more uh, based on how much of an impact you can make on a particular team um, in terms of winning football games. I think winning football games is paramount, but at the same time, when when I look back at this decade, It'll be weird with Jones because maybe he's not a guy that you immediately pop into your head of like, oh, wow, look how incredible he was. But when you start to think of the pass rushers of the era, he's certainly going to pop up on the list. I don't really have an issue with Suggs not being on it. I mean, 2000, he was drafted in 2003, so this was, what, year seven or eight for him coming in. He was already an established guy, but he has fallen off a bit in these past couple of years. And, and admittedly, even... I would say maybe the last year or two in Baltimore was living off his reputation just a little bit um, in terms of how incredible, quote unquote, he was. I just want to go over the the list quickly to fill out that uh, linebacker spot. So for the all decade team, Chandler Jones, Luke Keekley, Khalil Mack, uh, Von Miller, Bobby Wagner and Patrick Willis. Those are the linebackers, a, a really strong uh, list. And, and you're right, Tim, Terrell, Sack, uh, Terrell Suggs is sack numbers in that sort of like 15, 16 stretch, certainly f- fell off a little bit. I want to talk just quick. Chandler Jones, I, I stared at his <laughs> stat page today for much longer than I should have. Just a quick aside away from 
the all-decade team was just this season, he had 19 sacks, 8 forced fumbles, 50 tackles, did not win Defensive Player of the Year, uh, and lost that to Stephon Gilmore, who I'm getting more and more angry at the Patriots every day. Uh, And then just for me, this is a case where if Stephon Gilmore played for anybody but the Pats... Chandler Jones takes Defensive Player of the Year, but I'm gonna look enough of Chandler Jones. <laughs> Jace, any other uh, any other interesting guys that you liked or didn't like on this uh, on this All Decade list? Yeah, I like you, Scott. Kind of said I would have loved Suggs to be here. I think he is a little bit of a victim of it just being a blanket linebacker because you're combining outside linebackers and middle linebackers. Like you read that list, I'm like. Yeah, those players are all probably Hall of Famers, like all excellent uh, guys. And then you go to the defensive ends too: um, Clayus Campbell, Cameron Jordan, Julius Peppers, J.J. Watt. You know, Suggs not a pure defensive end. You're like, yeah, J.J. Watt won three defensive player of the years. I get why he's on the list, even with his uh, injury issues in the latter part of the decade. So I would have loved Suggs to be there. Uh, I think if they specified outside linebacker, he would be. But... That was my only quibble, really, as uh, my Homer glasses. Um, I mean, uh, uh, Jay Tuck, you got to love it. Uh, unanimous. Um, th- no one really kind of surprised me too much. Uh, I guess Geno Atkins a little bit, you know, he was really good. He, he, he kind of has the both cases where he was transcendent in the beginning of the decade, but then just kind of stuck around. Like he has both of the things we've talked about where he had a brilliant multi-time all pro stretch, but then like he's still just on the Bengals. <laughs> um, so he's he, he kind of jumps out to me a little bit as kind of the name. You're like, oh, Geno Atkins, but he was really good in uh, the early part and I think that's the thing and the same to circle back to, you know, Patrick Willis. Um, I guess Darrell Rivas a little bit because, you know, it seems like he's been out of football for so long. Uh, He's got the similar thing. I don't think he's played since about 2016, maybe 2015, somewhere around there. Um, But uh, yeah, I don't really have major qualms with this list. Uh, You you go down the line uh, every day. You're like, makes sense. Chris Harris, probably the least heralded of the players on this list, but, you know, he was started the entire decade for the Broncos, was one of their stud corners on their championship team. So he probably is the least hyped of the people, but, yeah, no one that jumped out to me as undeserving, certainly. Yeah, the only one I would point out, and, again, it's not like I'm burning down the house because of this omission-slash-inclusion, but Jason Witten... It kind of did both of outside of a just horrific stint in the Monday Night Football booth. (laughs) I kind of had the same Geno Atkins thing where he's hung around now, but also he was a dominant force for the Dallas Cowboys for the entire decade. Um, Just looked it up. He led all NFL tight ends and catches across the 2010s. um, And he's not on this list. And Travis Kelsey, who certainly is very, very good, but kind of came on the back end I think head to head if you're looking all the way back from 2010 I'm taking Witten over Kelsey um but again outside of that um Marquise Pouncey being on here is weird to me too he's never I've never seen him as a dominant center but then again off the top of my head I can't really think of anybody that you would put in his place um and outside of that not everything else I think Kind of fits. Um, and again, just great to have a, a bunch of Ravens on there and a couple unanimous ones well, as well. One thing I guess we have to bring up the two quarterback picks, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers. 
I'm cool with it. I know you guys are very stunned as an avowed Aaron Rodgers guy that I am pro Aaron Rodgers being on this list. Um, but obviously, Drew Brees, even Peyton Manning set the all time single season records for yards and touchdowns in this decade. Now, likewise, he hasn't played in the past five years and he missed the one year with his next surgery. Uh, so he's a name you might not think of, but as again, he probably was a multi-time All-Pro, which is <laughs> based on the, some of those seasons with the Broncos this decade. Um, uh, but yeah, I guess in the quarterback realm, anything surprising or uh, opposed to the two choices they made? It's just the debate. I think this comes up. I mean, uh, Manning is the one name, but then Drew Brees is is the other name. And I, I'm, I don't necessarily think Drew Brees should be ahead of Aaron Rodgers, but I feel like in all these lists that have come out, Brees sort of keeps getting pinched out of these groupings and out of these classes of, of sort of stud quarterbacks. And it's, you know, it, it's almost unfair to him. Uh, I just I pulled up Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers numbers from 2010 on, basically. Um, the thing that statistically that Aaron Rodgers has basically is the Super Bowl was 2010. So he gets that first year of the decade with the Super Bowl while uh, Brees was a few years earlier. Um, however, passing touchdowns, Drew Brees has 40 more than Aaron Rodgers in that stretch. Uh, completion percentage, he completes 70% of his passes compared to Aaron <laughs> Rodgers completing under 65 uh, and then it's just those ridiculous uh, passing yard numbers, the 5,000 passing yard uh, seasons over and over again. So over the 10-year stretch, he has 8,000 more passing yards, roughly. These are numbers. This is, you know, you look at Aaron Rodgers, he has two MVPs, Rodgers, compared to Breeze. So that's the other thing that, that you're going to compare, obviously, for for who should belong on this list. So I, I personally would probably still vote for Aaron Rodgers. But poor Drew Brees, like what, what else does he possibly have to do to get on one of these one of these lists when it's between Brady's obviously going to take one and then Rodgers just keeps taking that second slot. There's I have watched enough Drew Brees love fests on Monday Night Football <laughs> when he breaks another freaking record to feel to feel any sort of bad about him be not being on an arbitrary list of the best teams of the 2010s. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's got cute children. <laughs> that we see way too much of. Like, he, he, his life is fine. He lives That's in New Orleans. That's because Aaron Rodgers won't show you any of his family members ever on any video. <laughs> well, that's fair. But I, the whole, I feel bad for Drew Brees. I've watched three-hour broadcasts, and I, I feel bad for, I think it was they were playing the Redskins this year. Or maybe it was a different team. I can't remember. But it was, on, it was in prime time. And the whole thing was about Drew Brees. Like it, it wasn't. It was like they were doing the the Tommy Heinsohn of the Boston Celtics, where he's just a complete and utterly ridiculous homer. It's Jim Palmer, I guess, for a little better reference for our Baltimore natives here. Where if you're doing that on a a local broadcast for the team, I get it. But it was Monday Night Football, and it was look how great he is all the time. It was like every time we played the Patriots, and all they wanted to do was talk about Tom Brady. It, it's infuriating if you're on the opposing team. So I don't feel bad about Breeze and, and in all honestly, completely agree with all of your points about Rodgers as well. I think it's a, it's a little bit of a toss-up, but give me Breeze just slightly over, or excuse me, Rodgers just slightly over Drew Breeze. 
And then the last aspect of it, again, I I would side with Rodgers, but we're, you know, embrace debate on Pod Like a Raven. <laughs> the last thing that probably benefits Rodgers is Breeze plays half of his games indoors at home in a nice, nice, comfortable environment where Rodgers' home games are in freezing Green Bay, Wisconsin. I I went to Green Bay for a, like a December game, and it's. Very, very cold. We're breaking some news here on Pod Like a Raven. It's frigid, and he has to do that eight times a year, uh, every year. So any other names? I have one other position that I sort of wanted to discuss, but any other names that you guys liked or, uh, or disliked on this, on this list? The receivers are insanely loaded. I think they have the right four, but what a, what a decade for wide receivers. <laughs> so that, yeah, that, that sort of pairs with... Because that position was so stacked, one of the players that I think sort of gets squeezed out of the list is A.J. Green. And I want to look at the flex spot. And this is sort of, I don't really understand why we have a flex spot on an all-decade team, but (laughs) Darren Sproles taking the flex spot. I feel like he's everybody's favorite, like, good story. He was undersized coming out of college and ended up having like a 20-year career we're talking about a guy who did like jack of all trades, master of none for his entire career. And then you have guys who like Le'Veon Bell has only played six seasons in the NFL and has over 9,000 yards from scrimmage. Uh, he joined the league in 2013, uh, skipped 2018. So maybe that alone was the reason that the NFL was never going to put him in an all decade team. And then AJ Green who's been in the league right in that decade stretch from uh, from 11 to 18 because he missed uh, last year. 9,000 yards from scrimmage. Again, uh, I can pull up Darren Sproles' numbers, but that was a guy who essentially like rushed for 400 yards and caught 300 receiving <laughs> yards every season. Uh, so I just yeah. want your guys' thoughts on uh, maybe on A.J. Green being that last wide receiver out uh, or either of those two guys taking Darren Sproles' flex spot. Yeah, I get why they put Sproles at flex. Like you said, he uh, that if you're going to label him a position, that's what it is, because he's catching passes. He's uh, running sometimes he's returning punts. But, uh, you know, I'm fine with it. I always enjoyed Darren Sproles personally, but I certainly think A.J. Green's a better player. (laughs) I would want A.J. Green on my team. He has historically torched the Baltimore Ravens. So I think we're intimately uh, familiar with the works of AJ green. Uh, he's really good. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I don't know. Sproul seems like they're just like having some fun, but like you said, same with Levy, Le'Veon bell, definitely a more dynamic player than Darren Sproul's is. But, uh, I think people just like Darren Sproul's. They like his do everything. And I, he played the whole decade. So I got him on the list. <laughs> I'm looking at the list, the official list on ProFootballHallOfFame.com. Darren Sproles is on here already as a punt returner. So why do they need to put him <laughs> as a flex position, too? It's like, it, it, it's, it, it's exactly, you know what it is, is they want to put him in the fantasy football type thing. They want this to be as fantasy football as possible because flex is only a position in fake football. It's not a position in real football. Just... I would put another running back in there instead um, because that was actually Darren Sproles' position. Bell, Antonio, you're dead on. He sat out a year, and so the t- the t- they're not going to put him in. Maybe that's the same thing with Witten, too, although his was 
a lot less controversial, if not worse, because we all had to experience it in the Monday Night Football booth. But I would think a guy, and this is just a name I'm throwing out here. It's not, I just look, I just confirmed the stats. So I wouldn't put this guy in because his best season came in 2009. But if we had a guy like a Chris Johnson, who was incredible for maybe a very short amount of time, but was unstoppable, that's who I'd rather see go in Someone like that, then, like you said, Antonio, this is my exact argument. Darren Sproles was fine the entire year. And, and what he did do really well was in the, the punt return game and the kick return game and special teams. But he got a deserved spot there. That's fine. Why do you also have to add him as a flex spot? That didn't make any sense to me. Darren Sproles started his career. Let me just rail on Darren Sproles for 10 minutes here. Uh, started his career in 2005. <laughs> Has a total yards from scrimmage, 8,392, with 55 rushing and receiving touchdowns. A.J. Green, 9,000 yards, 63 touchdowns. Started his career in 2011. I don't understand. I don't like it. Get rid of the flex spot. Put in a, the, the best, pl- best player available should, should take that spot. That's my last rant there. Any other uh, spots, guys, on this all-decade team before we move on more Ravens Lamar Jackson plans on taking the next decade along with uh Hollywood Brown Mark Andrews they're all going to be in that next decade team that we will review in uh in 10 years on pod like a ring (laughs) so let's move now to what's bothering Jace which uh for the first time in several weeks is actually going to happen at its at its uh specified time slot instead of just coming right off the top at the beginning of the episode yeah, so a little somber one today, but we've lost a number of uh, just sports legends over the weekend and into today. Um, Tom Dempsey, uh, who held the NFL record um, for uh, the longest field goal, actually, uh, 63 yards, did it with half a foot, was born without any toes on his right foot, which he kicked with. Uh, he died over the weekend, unfortunately, of uh, coronavirus, actually, uh, probably the most um, prominent uh you know, American sports figure to this point to have died from this. Uh, so, um, and he held the record. It wasn't tied until Jason Elam, uh, Elam did it in 1998 in Denver. And then the record was a f- finally broken by Matt Prater in Denver. So, uh, you know, our shout out Tom Dempsey setting the record in 1970. Uh, he was 73. Um, and then yesterday uh, and today, uh, two kind of, um, Local uh, Maryland area uh, legends, uh, Bobby Mitchell, uh, Pro Football Hall of Famer, uh, died yesterday, uh, Sunday. Um, he was 84, but he was, uh, you know, one of the best players of the 60s, uh, offensive players. He um, was one of the first uh, two or three black players on the Redskins. They were um, the last team to integrate, so he's kind of a pioneer trailblazer uh, in that regard in the area. Um, and then today Baltimore legend, Al Kaline, uh, died at 85. He grew up in Baltimore and played his whole career for the Detroit Tigers. Uh, so, you know, just kind of sad to see all these kind of legends go. So it's been weighing on me. And just when you're sitting inside all day and just thinking about stuff, it uh, I think hits especially hard, uh, in these times. So, you know, they were all, um, uh, Dempsey was 73, but you know, Mitchell 84 at K line 85. So they had, uh, long lives and were both hall of fame, uh, hall of famers, but, uh, still very sad. And especially for, you know, some kind of local area legends as well. So wanted to shout them out, but a kind of a sad, just what's weighing on me today. When you don't sort of have a direct 
impact with coronavirus, you know, with a with a family member or a friend or something like that. I think hearing about these larger than life figures uh, succumbing to to this, you know, horrible uh, virus. I think it sort of it puts things in perspective, obviously, um, and then hopefully it it makes people just sort of think, you know, be, be smart with what you're doing. Like this is impacting a lot of people all over the place, even those that we sort of think are, uh, you know, these sports figures are sort of impenetrable. Um, but hearing about these unfortunate stories, hopefully, you know, gives people some perspective, stay inside, yeah. stay safe, yeah. uh, ride it out. And then, and uh, Mitchell and Kaline, I don't believe they've said, I think it was luckily for them, natural causes, perhaps, uh, you know, they were 84 and 85, but yeah, Dempsey, uh, he lives in new Orleans and they've obviously been especially impacted by this in new Orleans and New York. Uh, amongst other places in the United States. So, yeah, like you said, stay inside if you can, obviously, as much as possible. And uh, we'll get through this. I think we're slowly, hopefully, turning a quarter. But uh, still a few more uh, of these uh, virtual uh, uh, Zoom sessions here on the old Pod Like a Raven feed, I'm guessing. <laughs> still a few weeks to go on that front. Uh, all right, let's move on now to the Random Raven segment, yeah. which, Jace, is, is yours this week. So uh, uh, please... Give us your best shot. We, we had a somber what's bothering Jays, but we have a doozy this week uh, to pick us back up in Random Ravens. I am very excited about this one. I think you guys will get it because he's one of hashtag those guys in Ravens history. Kind of the point of this segment, but let's dive into it. Number one, this player was drafted in the sixth round of the 2004 NFL draft. He spent three seasons with the Ravens, appearing in 29 games. He caught 29 passes in his three seasons, with 24 of them coming in his rookie year of 2004. He actually led the 2004 Ravens with all of four touchdown passes, uh, receptions. Um, And as an aside, four touchdown grabs. The 2004 Ravens were a winning team, so shout out to those defenses. Um, And then our final clue... His number 84 has since been worn most prominently by TJ Hushmanzada and Ed Dixon. Yeah, I think think it was just the number, to be honest, because uh, (laughs) this particular random Raven should have no business being at the top of any receiving list for the team statistically. Some very fun bonus ones. Should I just save those for when we go back over the clues at the end? No, go with them now. Go, go with, with them, them now, now because I think I think we both know who this person is. I actually had a different name until you mentioned the number. So, um, but th- this might give our listeners a little bonus uh, credit. These two things just cracked me up, so I had to include them. In 2006, he accomplished the rare feat of having two catches for one yard and one touchdown on the season. <laughs> and, which I don't know why that made me laugh. I was like, that two catches, sounds one like, yard. Sounds like a. Uh, a, 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 an end zone fade to me, <laughs> which should illuminate who this player is. Uh, and then this really made me laugh. His wiki, uh, his Wikipedia says the 37 year old is currently a free agent. He has not played an NFL game since December 2006. <laughs> so, so still active, you know. Still yeah. listen. He's working out. He's speaking with his agent. His, his Wikipedia uh, also said uh, citation needed that the Ravens released him. So I don't think someone uh, I'll just say this player who definitely was responsible for his Wikipedia page hasn't updated. In a while. 
You never know when you're going to get the call, Chase. All yeah, right? so. You're always ready to, to, to hop in. All right, well, that's, that's a fantastic uh, guy that if I'm right, I am surprised that we hadn't already... Well, that's why I wanted to check. I was like, I was like, I'm sure this guy's come up, <laughs> but I don't think he has yet. All right, so we will answer that at the end of the episode. So now we want to go into uh, sort of another new segment of ours as we uh, go week to week here in the NFL offseason. And this was a thought that we we had where we want to go through uh, all three of us and pick out our favorite Ravens non-playoff victory. The team's been around 24 seasons. I believe 25th season is uh, will be this year. Uh, this is a team that had just the full spectrum of games. Uh, this team won a Super Bowl in a season where they didn't score a touchdown for a month and still won two games. This is also the team that, for a stretch this past season, won 14 games and was scoring 40 points a game, seemingly. So they, they've certainly done it all in, in these Ravens wins that we've seen. So... Uh, I'm going to let one of you guys go first, whoever wants to take this one first, of uh, favorite non-playoff, non-Super Bowl Ravens victories. And some may be because you're with your best friends watching this game. Some may be goofy games. Some may be your favorite player winning the game. Maybe, you know, maybe a one-yard touchdown catch uh, from our random Ravens. So, Tim, why don't you uh, go first and offer up one or more of your uh, favorite Ravens wins? Yeah, so I... My my when we first thought of this, I had two that kind of came up automatically. The first one is not my choice, but it's the final game in Texas Stadium for the Dallas Cowboys where Willis McGahee and LaRon McClain ran all over the Cowboys and shut that place out with a Cowboys loss. And I believe it was on Saturday night football in week 16 as well. And it was two back to back huge runs. And who doesn't love watching a fullback go 60 yards and taking it to the house? Rumbling, uh, so stumbling, and bumbling, as Chris Berman would say. Hey, he's, he's on that. For me, I could do a Mount Rushmore of Ravens fullbacks. He's on there. Um, obviously with Vontae Leach, and I'd have to think about the other ones. Uh, but I'm going to take you back to 2011. It was coming. It was the season opener, September 11th, 2011, coming off a depressing loss in the playoffs to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And boy, howdy. Did the Ravens repay that on opening day? Uh, the Steelers had won seven straight, or Roethlisberger specifically had won seven straight starts against the Baltimore Ravens. They couldn't seem to beat him. It was only they would only beat him if if Roethlisberger was out injured. Um, Pittsburgh had won eight games on opening day, uh, dating back years and years and years before this. Well, the Baltimore Ravens defense forced seven turnovers. Joe Flacco threw three touchdown passes. Uh, Ray Rice went over 100 yards. And the Baltimore Ravens stomped the Pittsburgh Steelers 35-7. to It was pure ecstasy watching the, the team from Pittsburgh just get destroyed, trampled, and embarrassed at M&T Bank Stadium. And simply, I mean, the two, th- two of my favorite all-time Ravens hits came in this game. Not the Bart Scott hit on Ben Roethlisberger, which is another, I mean, top five hit of all time uh, in Ravens history, if not NFL history, in my own personal opinion. One came on as the Steelers were backed up against their own end zone. They gave it to Rashard Mendenhall up the middle, and somebody forgot to block Haloti Nada, which is not a good idea. 
He absolutely leveled Mendenhall, popping the ball loose for one of the seven turnovers. I actually have a picture of this signed by Holodinata up in my room at my parents' house. It's, it's one of my favorite moments of all time. But my favorite Ravens moment in the history of the franchise, my favorite play, I would say, outside of, you know, obviously winning Super Bowls and things like that. <laughs> you know, secondary to the Super Bowls. Sure. Is an Ed Reed interception. But the best part of the play is not the Ed Reed interception. It is Heinz Ward getting what he deserved for so many cheap shots over the years. And the man who laid the smackdown on that smiling bleep <laughs> was Jarrett Johnson, who also describes this as his favorite Ravens play in history. It was a play action. Heinz Ward was coming across the middle to cheap shot somebody. Jarrett Johnson saw him and hit him so hard that his cleats went over his head Nearly flipped number 86 for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And the moment it happened, I was watching with my dad and I lost it. We rewound. This is when we we're just first figuring out TiVo, which is something that <laughs> God love him. He still doesn't know how to operate. He kept rewinding it. And I hate doing this for live sports. I hate it. But we rewound that play five to six times watching Jarrett Johnson just destroy Heinz Ward. Heinz Ward, who... Always said it wasn't a cheap shot. It was always to talk about commentators really annoying you. Look how hard he's playing when he's just illegally blocking guys in the back, but it's never going to get called. Look at how much fun he's having because he's smiling because of all the crap he's getting away with. <laughs> Jarrett Johnson depleted Heinz Ward, and it's one of the most satisfying moments I've had watching a football game, family show. And, um, and then it ended with an Ed Reed interception. Again, one of seven turnovers. For the Baltimore Ravens. When, when we thought of this idea, there's plenty. And I have to say, one of our listeners uh, who we will shout out at the end of this did a brilliant job sparking my memory for some of the best Ravens games I can remember personally. So we'll get to those in a second. But immediately, the first one that popped in my head was this 35-7 victory on opening day uh, for regular seasons over the Pittsburgh Steelers. And it, I mean, especially because two of my favorite all-time Ravens plays came uh, in that game. So that would be my regular season uh, favorite game, if, if you were to say that. Tim, that's fantastic. I'm going to go next only because that game, I think, is going to just segue perfectly into what my first choice was. And that's the same season. It's 2011, and it's game two against the Steelers. This was the game at Pittsburgh on a Sunday night where the Ravens uh, down 20-16 to 16 with two minutes and 24 seconds left, got the ball on their own eight-yard line, and it was time to, to score a touchdown within those last two minutes and, and win a game in Pittsburgh at Heinz Field. And I bring this game up because at the time, we were three years into the Flacco-Harbaugh era, and even though they'd gone to the playoffs all of those first few seasons, they always seemed to be like the little brother team to the Steelers and then to the AFC in general. They never really got to the Super Bowl. They never could take that leap. And they always seemed to have these leads against Pittsburgh that late in the game, Ben Roethlisberger would come from behind and late in the third quarter uh, and eventually take the lead and, and win the game. And it was always be this, well, there they go again. The Ravens losing to the Steelers uh, late in these games that, that really mattered. So they had already won the week, the week one game as, as Tim mentioned, uh, 
And then Pittsburgh was coming for revenge, basically. But they finally had what I put in quotes as the drive. I realized there's another the drive that has slightly more significance to the NFL as a whole. But for the Ravens, this was the drive that made this team take a leap. They became not the little brother. They were now a great team that knew that they could go deep into the postseason with Joe Flacco, first of all, and that this team could win a Super Bowl with this core. Uh, they did end up driving uh, 92 yards in, in two minutes and scoring a touchdown with a deep 26-yard pass to Torrey Smith on third and oh. 10 after the second and 10 drop by Torrey Smith in the end zone, and then he went right back to him. And again, that was just Flacco trusting a young receiver. This was a unit that had to improve and had to make that leap, and going right back to the same receiver on the following play for, for a touchdown was awesome. So... Uh, this is also my answer, Antonio. For the sake of this activity, I chose a different game. I'll get into it momentarily. Uh, but this is my actual, I think, favorite Ravens regular season victory ever. Um, like you said, Torrey Smith, 16, what, 16 seconds to go. Um, I don't d- remember. Do you know where you watched this game, Antonio? I don't remember because I know where I was and I was with Tim Horsey. I just can't recall if we were all together or not. I don't remember that. My altogether game is my second game, but I, I feel like I may have been. You might have been uh, at home or in Baltimore yeah. as opposed to in College Park for for that game. I was with Tim Horsey and his dorm room in I forget what hall that was called at the time, or the new the nice one, uh, Oakland. 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 Yes, uh, we were at Oakland Hall with Mike Brown and uh, some assorted other friends, and. We yelled so loud when Tori Smith scored. We nearly got like we're probably close to a noise violation. Like it was just like six to seven dudes just screaming at literally the top of their lungs. It was like the most exhilarating regular season game I can like remember watching. And I just remember yeah, just being in Tim's dorm and just a freaking out that the Ravens were going to lose to the Steelers again. <laughs> and then just overcome with, you know, emotion and uh, excitement over, like you said, it was not a thing we really saw much of ever from the Ravens prior to that point, late dramatic last second drive. So yeah, that one stands out to me a lot and just watching it with Tim and uh, your buddies. It was a great time. Yeah, I will say uh, if we weren't cool with our RA, we would have gotten a noise violation. <laughs> that was later That was later admitted to us uh, after we had left <laughs> Oakland Hall. And two... Uh, another buddy who was there, who I lived with at the time, Evan Lichtenhauer, shouts out to him if he's listening, pulled a move that I've never seen, just one of those pure excitement moves. I've had these where I legit fall off the couch because I just, my body convulses. He was sitting on a bed with like his legs dangling because it was uh, one of those that went up. Somehow his body propelled, He his feet landed on the bed, and I remember looking over and he's just screaming on top of the bed. <laughs> It was it was one of those moments. We're all hugging, laughing, having a great time. And um, yeah, again, almost got a noise violation, but it would have been so worth it if uh, if we did. That final drive included a fourth and one, a third and eight and a third and ten. And it was the year before the Ravens won the Super Bowl. I feel like a lot of times people talk about the uh, the AFC title game loss to the Patriots as being that moment where they knew they were good enough to go to the Super Bowl because they should have won that game. I tend to go back to this game. I think this was the moment where they realized that they were you know, in the top class uh, of the AFC. Uh, so that was just an, an awesome game. 
And then my second one is sort of just like the fun, stupid game. And this one, the three of us definitely watched <laughs> yes, together. I remember this. <laughs> and this was a, a Monday night game. I have the year in 2013. This was December of 2013. The Ravens traveled to Detroit to face the Lions. Sort of a random place. Yeah. They don't go there very often. Uh, and they won a game 18-16 to 16 with uh, all-decade kicker Justin Tucker hitting six field goals, including the 61-yard game winner that I remember all three of us when the Ravens got to that point on the field and we started doing the math of how long the field goal was. We said, what? He could he could maybe make this. He's inside. It's a dome. He's an awesome kicker. Like this is within range. Uh, the kick looking from the perspective of the camera looking like it was wide about three quarters of the kick. And then somehow, please, Ravens fan, go back to the highlights to rewatch the kick. It looks like it is wide the entire time and then just drops right down into the corner uh, we went crazy about that. I st- will never forget Calvin Johnson's face, uh, just never being prepared for that, not expecting at all that ball to go in. Uh, and just a random, bizarre game that was fun to watch that the Ravens probably didn't deserve, uh, but they, they ended up stealing on the road with Justin Tucker just doing it all simultaneously. Well, th- that was incredible. Coupe de Gras is uh, of that game, too, for me, is because that moment was awesome. And then Matt Stafford immediately threw an interception on the next play to Matt Elam, frequent target of Ravens <laughs> um, uh, angst, I guess. But uh, yeah, that game was awesome. I actually have one other one from 2013 I just wanted to highlight as one that has stuck with me a 29-26 victory over the Minnesota Vikings in December 2013 in which the teams combined to score five touchdowns in the final two minutes and five seconds. It's the most scoring in that uh, the final like 2-15 in NFL history. Just an absurd game. Toby Gerhart was prominently involved. Uh, Cordell Patterson took a a pass to the house. Uh, Jacoby Jones had a touchdown. Dennis Pitta had a fourth down touchdown that kind of kick-started this whole thing with 2.05 to go, and you thought, oh, the Ravens have won this game. Dennis Pitta, 2.05, and they immediately give up a touchdown, and then Jacoby Jones gets it back, and then they immediately give up a touchdown, and then with just uh, 14 seconds to go, former random Raven Marlon Brown pulls down a touchdown on a beautiful pass from Joe Flacco in the snow. I I was actually I was an intern at USA Today Sports at the time and I was watching this game in the office and it was just the most roller coaster of emotions. I think possibly the next week was that Lions game. They were like right back to back or in like the vicinity of each other, like real close together because they like needed some wins to try to make the playoffs. They ultimately didn't, but uh, it kept them alive and it was uh, um it's just a baffling game, and, uh, you know, how football can prey on all of your emotions. And I just remember that game and just like losing my mind eight different times that, oh, we won it. We blew it. We won it. We blew it. And then they won it again in the span of 15 real time minutes. <laughs> it, was, it was really one of the crazier games I've ever seen. So that one's always stuck with me. And I think that's kind of the power of football. You know, that's a, a really great game in a season that was ultimately meaningless for the Ravens. I believe they finished eight and eight, but um, it was just a really great moment. And kind of why we keep coming back. I think every, every week for football. <laughs> yeah. Call me. Um, I have one more to throw in here before we get to listener. Uh, we had a couple listener submissions here, but 
And admittedly, Jace put this one on the dock. He listed a number of ones, and uh, there's there's a lot of them. A quick note: the Steve Smith revenge game uh, in Carolina was awesome. But again, call me a mean person for picking on the Cleveland Browns, but the kick six game, <laughs> which I you wrote 2015. You could be right. I, I don't really remember to be completely honest, but it was a Monday nighter. It looked like the Ravens had a really nice streak of wins against the Browns, not losing against the Browns, whatever it was. And it looked like the Ravens were going to blow that. Um, all led to, it was either late fourth quarter or overtime. They need, they would, they were down like two points and they had a chip shot field goal. The Browns did. There's multiple social media videos of Browns fans, like getting the camera ready for on themselves to celebrate when the kick goes through looking up behind and having the play behind them. And the Ravens blocked the field goal and returned it for a touchdown and won the game in Cleveland, sending all those miserable, miserable people back to their miserable lives. Um, and just warmed my heart. You can, call me, you can call me mean. You can call me a cynic. You can call me whatever you want. I don't care. It made me happy. It made me smile. Most of all, it made me laugh hysterically for the rest of the evening uh, on that beautiful Monday night. So that, the kick six game, just in terms of funniest games, Right at the end of, I cannot believe the Browns found another way to lose to the Ravens uh, was pretty remarkable. Well, just to make it even dumber, the game was tied at that point when they were kicking that <laughs> okay. field goal. So right, the, the right. worst case scenario, in theory, is they miss the kick and go to overtime. <laughs> That's what should have been the absolute worst possible thing. But when you're the Browns, not only do you not make the field goal, you don't even miss the field goal. You have it blocked and returned for a touchdown to just straight up lose in regulation. And and, uh, I think what makes that game special. So this was, uh, yeah, it was during the 2015 season because the Ravens only went five and 11 then. And this was one of their five wins was blocking this kick to win. Uh, Matt Schaub started this game uh, for the Ravens, the the kick six game against the Browns. Uh, Flacco had torn his ACL either the week before, two weeks prior, something like that, and was out for the year. Um, and yeah, like, again, I was watching this at friend of the show, Chris Maine's house, uh, former emailer, um, uh, beautiful game. Just again, why we watch football meaningless season, ultimately in the history of the Ravens, but just a, a fantastic game. <laughs> like Tim said, made me laugh, made me <laughs> joyous, <laughs> had it all. All right. Before we wrap this up, Antonio, I do. We did throw this question out on Twitter and I just want to list out uh, Andrew Ironman, a friend of mine from back in high school, gave us a bunch of games that I just want to give a quick, quick shout out to. And again, anytime you have feedback, Twitter at Pod Like a Raven, Pod Like a Raven at gmail.com and Instagram the same as well. Pod Like a Raven. Um, 2003 versus Cleveland. There they are again. The Jamal Lewis 295 yard rushing game. Uh, I remember that vividly, even though I was only about 11 years old. I uh, said that was his also his first in-person game. Not a bad one to go yeah, to. That's there. a great one. <laughs> uh, 2006, 20 uh, again at Tampa Bay. They win 27 to nothing. I'll throw this in here. I believe Ray Lewis destroyed somebody in the end zone that game. And also, Haloti Nada got a pick in his first game ever and almost returned it for a touchdown, but didn't cut back inside because the big man was breathing heavy and needed some oxygen, so went out of bounds at like the 10-yard line. Uh, let's see, 2008 reads 100. I mean, 
the the 2008 any of the long return ed reed returns are some of the best just yeah. individual plays but this was the one against philly the 107 yard interception return he says benching mcnab but i believe kevin cobb was the one who threw that pass. well so they uh, benched so. mcnab at half andy reed benched mcnab at halftime of that game and kevin cobb was the one who unleashed the uh, 107 yard or whatever eight yard pick six kevin cobb, so there's that the one. answer yeah <laughs> 2009 at San Diego, uh, the Ray Lewis stopping Darren Sproles That's a great in the one. backfield Good on call. fourth down because he, if you listen, Ray Lewis postgame said, I've been watching so much tape. Anytime Rivers drops his butt, I know he's handing the ball off. So he knew it was a direct run inside. That was also our senior crab feast. And there was one poor San Diego fan there <laughs> and a bunch of 17 to 18 year old uh, boys, Raven, mostly Ravens fans, did not treat that guy very well. Kind of feel bad about that afterwards. But anyway, the Ravens won that game. Uh, 2010 against the New York Jets. Uh, don't do the math, but I was at RJ Bentley's for this one. A 10-9 <laughs> final. 10-9 was uh, on Monday Night Football. That was fun. Yeah, I'm going to hard disagree as that, of, of that being a, like a great oh. Ravens win. Defense was <laughs> <Hey>, good. <laughs> if, it's memorable, if it's memorable to him, it's memorable to him. 2011 versus San Francisco, the Harbaugh. Oh, that was the awesome. The Thanksgiving Harbaugh, the first Harbaugh, obviously, before the Super Bowl. Uh, 2012 versus New England, Tucker for the win. 2013 at Detroit, uh, which we mentioned there before. And then this one to throw in a uh, more recent vintage. This past season at Seattle, fourth down conversion, which made me a true believer, uh, assuming in this team and Lamar Jackson. So there's a bunch of good ones there. We are blessed from Andrew Ironman. Thank you. If you want to submit stuff again, Twitter and Instagram at pod like a Raven, pod like a Raven at gmail.com. And um, we're, we're, we're blessed as Ravens <laughs> fans to have a number of these. And we haven't even talked about the playoffs. I'd be so, lying if I said there. I wasn't watching highlights from that Seattle game immediately before we started recording this. So. <laughs> Just full disclosure. <laughs> uh, I'm kind of uh, weirdly proud of the three of us for not picking a game from last season <laughs> as the memorable game, because there were a bunch of them. There were 14 of them last year, uh, but we, we, we dug uh, dug a little further back in the recesses of our of our Ravens memories. Um, so that's that's just about it for us. The only thing left to do at this point is to answer the random Raven. Jace, oh. could you run through those clues for the listener? One yes, more time. indeed. This player was drafted in the sixth round of the 2004 NFL Draft. He spent three seasons with the Ravens, appearing in 29 games. He caught 29 passes in in those three seasons, 24 of them coming in his rookie year of 2004. And in 2004, his rookie year, he actually led the Ravens with four touchdown grabs. And his number 84 has since been worn, most prominently, by TJ Hushmanzada and Ed Dixon. Not a very prominent list of, of guys wearing 84. Yeah, we, we, we may need to get somebody more, else. But there was one guy I thought about writing, and then I was like, I'll file that away as another possible future random raven because it was a real real blast from the past I hadn't thought about in a while. Uh, but um, And then, yeah, my bonus clues, he had the rare two catches, one yard, one touchdown in 2006. He only caught, like, five passes in, in, in between the 05 and 06 season, so... He was pretty much a one-year flash of the pan in 04. Uh, but according to his Wikipedia, he's still currently a free agent if you're uh, looking to get in on, uh, uh, we'll say, a very tall receiver as well. Uh, it was kind of his yeah, notable so thing. <laughs> I'll go ahead with this, Antonio, only because I thought until the number clue 
that it was a man who I just looked it up was drafted in 2006, and that was Quinn Sipniewski, oh. the tight end, which is... <laughs> That's another name. Which, I don't know. I don't know why that name popped into my head, but obviously this is a man who Brian Billick, for whatever reason, <laughs> loved way too much, and that is Clarence Moore. Clarence! Yes. It is indeed Clarence Moore, your leading touchdown grab, uh, leading uh, touchdown receiver for the 2004 Ravens, a team that went nine and seven with Kyle Bowler throwing 13 touchdowns and starting all 16 games. What a time. (laughs) I don't want to get into it too much because if it can get infuriating, if you look at some of the offenses that the Ravens put on the field (laughs) in years where just... They're just basically warm bodies out there on the offensive side where if you had even a just a replacement level player, we would have had even more playoff trips and playoff wins just solely on the defense's back. But guys like Clarence Moore leading the team with four touchdowns. Rough to I see. Would just, yeah, I would just say for you newer Ravens fans, just be so incredibly happy you're watching <laughs> Lamar Jackson at quarterback rather than Kyle Bowler. Anybody who wasn't around for the Kyle Bowler era is a fortunate soul, in my opinion. He played so many games. He did. And I was going to say, there's a reason outside of Jamal's, uh, because I I had wrote that down as a possibility, outside of Jamal's 295-yard game, if you're wondering why literally uh, all our games were from the Joe Flacco era and why Joe Flacco is so revered by Ravens fans, yes, as Antonio said and Tim said, just go look at what the Ravens were doing on offense between 2001. We're really from the time Vinny Testaverde left, so we're talking like 1998 to like 2008. Just look at what the offenses were doing, and you're like, ooh, that ain't great. Hey, there's a Super Bowl in there. <laughs> there is Don't a Super that. Bowl in there. As Antonio, I believe, mentioned a, uh, a five-week stretch without scoring a touchdown that season uh, for the Super Bowl champs. Um, Surely something that will never happen again. Uh, <laughs> and, and yeah, defense. Ed Reed, Ray Lewis, nine and seven. Uh, Jared Johnson was around then. Kelly Gregg, great times uh, on that side of the ball. <laughs> but yeah, Clarence Moore, your leading receiver for touchdowns for the. Uh, I looked it up uh, just because I have the page open. I don't even think this guy qualifies as a random Raven because I don't even remember him. But Kevin Johnson was the leading reception guy for the 2004 Ravens with 35, uh, 35 receptions led the Ravens in 2004. What a travesty. (laughs) (laughs) You you hate to see all of it. Yeah. Uh, That's going to do it for us. Uh, just really getting into the, the, the deep stats and, and favorite players and teams in the offseason here. At some point, there will be NFL games again, and we'll be, we'll be riding Lamar Jackson uh, and, and the Ravens week by week. But next week, we'll hit you with some draft uh, information and updates as we get to the draft, which is about two and a half weeks away at this point. So thank you guys for, for listening. Uh, for Tim Horsey and Jay Evans, I am Antonio Barbera. See you next week on Pod Like a Raven. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.